Hello. You know what you sounded like? What? You know when you're in the cinema when it goes all black oh, yeah. and he goes, hello. hello. <laughs> Please turn off. Please turn off your phones. Actually, don't, because <laughs> you have to use your phones to listen to us. So don't yes. do that. Hello. We are Grace and Lydia. Um, and welcome to Everything with the Girls. We hope you enjoy this new podcast. And we are so happy to have you here. We release episodes every Saturday, or at least we try to. We're still babies in the podcasting world. Very much babies. We're trying. It takes me a while to edit, okay? Yes. But I did get it up on time last week. So. You did, but you forgot to tell everyone you got up on time. Well, you know what? We just got to do it in baby steps. <laughs> okay. <sighs> so, as you may already know, this month's theme is Couples Who Kill. We've already covered the Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka case, and we've just finished the Moore's murders last week. So if you're interested, definitely have a listen of those episodes. This week is one that I'm pretty sure Grace is the most excited about. Hell yeah. She even went to visit their old home. What a freak. (laughs) (laughs) It was en route in my journey, and actually it it was very underwhelming yeah well it's knocked down now isn't there it? was nothing there <laughs> it was just isn't... an alleyway i thought there'd be a plaque or something there's literally nothing there no it's just like a pathway between the houses now or something. yeah and there's nowhere yeah. to park it's all double yellows and i was like oh fuck yeah <laughs> anyway this week's episode covers the crimes committed by fred and rose west and i'd be surprised if you hadn't already heard of them to be honest they're pretty famous. Did you watch that show yesterday about Rose West and Myra Hindley? I did. I did. Being lovers. Yeah. Lesbian lovers. Although I thought it'd be a bit more... I found it kind of boring, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it was like all the information in it was what I'd already read in the newspaper. So. You know, that woman that that woman that was like, um, yeah, just fucking hit Rose West around the face. <laughs> She's so funny. I was thinking, what... <laughs> She's like, Kevin McDonald's was like, you snapped her. Yeah, he was like, yeah, I just punched her and she fell to the floor. What? <laughs> <laughs> Knocked her out cold. <laughs> Honestly, prison is like another fucking world, I swear to you. Mm. Fred and Rose West or 25 Cromwell Street. I'm not sure which is more famous. Anyway, they were a couple in the 70s and 80s who killed, sexually assaulted and tortured young women and girls, including their own children. These horrific crimes were committed in and around Gloucester, mostly within the property of 25 Cromwell Street, which has since been demolished due to most of the bodies being buried underneath the house. Mm. Lovely. Lovely Didn't they call it like like the House of Horrors? Yeah, yeah. One of the most infamous killer couples, Fred and Rose West's notoriety matches that of Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. But was it nature or nurture that made them both serial killers? And how did it go on for so long undetected? Dun, dun, dun. Those are the questions. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so let's dive straight into Fred West. This guy, Mm -hmm. this guy's fucked up. Mm. Are we ready? Yeah, we are. Frederick West. I like the name Frederick. Not attached to a serial killer. No, but... You know what that reminds me of? You know, Gogglebox. Oh, we all do love the bad boy. I'm not a terrorist, though, Chris. Not a terrorist, Chris. <laughs> anyway, Fred West was born on the 29th of September, 1941, in Herefordshire. 
Fred was the firstborn child um, to Walter West and Daisy Hill. Fred came from a poor family of farmers and his family was described as close-knit, which is probably the understatement of the century, and you're going to come to see why. <laughs> close-knit, yeah. Yeah, we're just a very close family. Well, they all shag each other. By 1946, the family moved to Moorcourt Farm, where Fred's father worked as a milking herdsman and harvest hand. By 1951, Fred's mother had given birth to eight children. Oh, my God, her poor vagina. Six of whom had survived. (laughs) But Fred was always seen as his mother's favourite. He was a mummy's boy. So I'm not sure I'd want to be. No, I mean, no. Not in that family. Classmates recall Fred as being scruffy and dim. Throughout his life, Fred remained scarcely literate, and when he left school at age 15, it was reported that his reading and writing ability was that of a seven-year-old. So this guy was a little bit slow. Mm. Are you allowed to say slow? Well, I was going to call him a fucking idiot, and I thought maybe <laughs> I'd just say slow. <laughs> Anyway. He had learning difficulties, yes, let's say that. Yeah. Yes, yes. He had learning difficulties. Yes. According to Fred, he was introduced to sex at the age of just 12 by his mother, mother's favourite, <clears throat> who mm. reportedly raped and sexually assaulted Fred on a regular basis and even took his virginity. So, yeah, I mean, that's a bit fucked up. Yeah. Fred's father introduced him to bestiality and showed him how to have sex with animals, including sheep. Mm. Mm. I mean, we're just diving head first. Oh, anyway, yeah. Anyway, it gets worse, so keep keep sticking with it. Um, Fred's father also apparently raped women and girls in front of Fred's, um, which sets a norm of quote, "If you want it, go and get it." And I think that's actually what Walter said to him once. Mm. He's mm. like, "If you want it, go get it." Like, there's like it wasn't an issue. That's basically mm. how Fred lived his whole life. Consent did not come into their lives. That, I don't think that was even a thing. Yeah. Um, Fred also stated that his belief in incest being normal stemmed from his father's incest with Fred's sisters, as well as his own experiences with his mother. Growing up, Fred continually pestered women and girls, whom he objectified as sources of pleasure used as and when he wanted. Shortly after his 17th birthday, Fred suffered a fractured skull, broken arm and a broken leg after a motorcycle accident. He was unconscious for seven days and after this incident, family noted that there was a serious change in his temperament and he became prone to fits of rage. Two years later, at the age of 19, Fred groped a young girl on a fire escape outside the Lebri Youth Club. This girl, this girl punched him and pushed him down the fire escape. Yes. I know. (laughs) Which meant that Fred suffered, suffered yet another head injury. After this second incident, both Fred's personality and his physical appearance were seriously different. That girl. I love that girl. I want to know yeah. who she is. Top marks. Top marks. What I found like really interesting is when I was reading like all the research about um, the links between head trauma and serial killers, There's mm. there is a link there. Yeah. Because it seems that ser- like most, a lot of serial killers, like very famous serial killers in history, have suffered head trauma in their life. I know that Jeffrey yeah, Dahmer yeah. had some serious head trauma and stuff like that. The research is like in its infancy, though. The, the studies show that around like one in four serial killers have suffered um, either a head injury or a condition affecting their brain. Yeah. And this is what I did in college. I did one of my psychology um, papers was to do with nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, there is a link between like head trauma and stuff. 
but it does it's not necessarily it's not a necessity do you know what I mean yeah and this like is just because you have a head trauma you're not going to end up going to kill people and this is what it's I thought more... why sorry I keep interrupting you Okay. No, it's all right. It's, it's, I think for me, the way I see it in my head, it's more the head trauma sort of lowers the walls. Do you know what I mean? So it, they, they're able, what, to, yeah, yeah. they're able to separate themselves from the emotion. So that's why they're able to go and kill people. So what I find, Because they don't have an emotive feeling towards it. Yeah. What I find interesting is if you look at like someone like Ian Brady, he had a really good upbringing. Mm. there was still something there but for Fred's like when he was asked about like all this stuff growing up he was just like well isn't that normal like he just thought it was normal yeah 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 and then so I think think with him I think actually Rose and Fred are good um examples of nature versus nurture because I think with him yeah he had learning difficulties and stuff but I think he was very much nurture yeah definitely yeah and I think and this, that the head injury, maybe like he thought, well, like, you know, you could take what you want and you can rape girls and whatever. And that's normal. But then this head injury instills this like rage in him. And like, yeah, and also swings then switch and he's actually a different person. Yeah. And like it also maybe before these head injuries, he still had a bit of a like a, a fight against those thoughts. So mm-hmm. It's still thought of, you know, this is still a bit wrong. But when he's had these head injuries, it could have, like, damaged the part of the brain where, like, your morals are. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So, like, because he hasn't got this internal fight anymore. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know, depending on how serious your head injury, it affects, like, your conscience, doesn't it? Yeah. And, like, your thought processing. Yeah, it's, like, either the creative <laughs> side or the logic side. Yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah. So also, sorry, if you hear a dog barking, that's my next, my other next I did, I did hear that. And I wondered yeah, whose dog that was. And it hates me. So Fred's got a big head injury. He looks uglier than he already did. He was already pretty ugly. Now mm. he's really ugly. Yeah. In June 1961, Fred was arrested for raping and impregnating a 13-year-old girl. Some, oh some research, like some people claim that this was Fred's sister, Kitty, but I don't think it's ever been confirmed. I've never actually seen anything mm. that's confirmed it. If she's um, 13, though, it would never be confirmed because... Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. yeah. So Fred was arrested and tried, but the case collapsed when the victim refused to testify. Fred was disowned by his family after this and was banished from the house. However, this didn't last long because um, in 1962, Fred had reconciled with his parents and moved back in with his family home. But... When I was reading this, I was like, "Okay, so this is what you're banishing for." But they, but your, but your dad told you if you want it, go get it. And you watch your dad rape your sister, and your mum raped you, and you all shag sheep. But this is not the thing. I think it was less about what he did and more the fact that he got caught. Yes, yes. So his mum and dad, like. Maybe they had learning difficulties as well and everything, but the majority of the time, you know right from wrong. You know what you're doing is wrong. His dad always used to say to him as well, like, do what you want, just don't get caught. Exactly. I'm sure he said that that yeah. Yeah, that was probably half the problem with them. Fred's IQ was just 86, with the average in the UK being between 90 and 109, and general intelligence was so low that he was deemed as lacking capacity after arrest and assigned an appropriate adult to help him understand the legal situation he faced. Lydia, 
What is an appropriate adult? An appropriate adult is a is actually a volunteer, so they don't get paid to do Oh my god, what job? I know. Well, I don't actually know if you can volunteer anymore. I think maybe it's social workers that do it now. Yeah. That would be a cool job though. Imagine being Fred West's appropriate adult. But his appropriate adult was a volunteer. She was training to be a um a social worker. Oh, okay. And so it's essentially someone to be in the interviewing room and in any other situation. So like his appropriate adult went to the crime scene with him and stuff when they were trying to find the bodies. Yes. They're there to be sort of the unbiased person. So obviously the police interviewing, I've got their own bias because they're trying to like charge him and his lawyer is trying to get him off any way he can. So the appropriate adult is just ba- is just there to make sure that he fully understands what's going on. Yeah. They're there for him rather than for the police. So he can tell the appropriate adult anything and they're legally obliged to not tell the police. Can you keep a secret? But, oh. So yeah, the, the appropriate adult is assigned to anyone who um, is deemed as lacking, lacking capacity, like Fred, who is over the age of 18, or for children if they commit any crimes. Thanks, Lydia, for that tidbit. You're welcome. We should have a little, like, Lydia's corner of facts. (laughs) All the ridiculous information that I have in my head. Information that you're never going to need. That is why my hair is so thick. (laughs) (laughs) It's full of useless information. And why mine is so thin. (laughs) So in September 1962, Fred became reacquainted with Rena Costella, who we had first met in 1960. Rena had returned to Scotland for two years before moving back to Gloucestershire. Rena had moved back and she was now pregnant by an Asian bus driver she had met in Glasgow. And several of her family members had expressed their displeasure at her being pregnant with a mixed race child. Now, I did. I don't know. It says Asian bus driver and it says that in a lot of the research. But I think some places it says that actually she was in Glasgow and she was a prostitute and this Asian guy was her pimp. Maybe the bus driver was just his day job. Oh, my God. Part bus driver, part pimp. Yeah. But, I mean, either way, she's pregnant with a little Asian baby. Yeah. Um, and at that time, it was still very... Yeah, yeah I mean, it's the 60s. God. And she's not even married. <gasps> Shock. Exactly. It's like double whammy. God. So, like any normal person would, Fred married Rena and told his family that Rena was pregnant with Fred's baby. Charmaine was born in March 1963, and to explain the child's mixed race appearance, let's just say that, Fred and Rena claimed that she had suffered a miscarriage and that Charmaine was an adopted child. Such an elaborate lie. Yeah, you'd like there's so many layers to that. I had a miscarriage, so my first instant thought was to adopt another child. Yeah, like not to mourn my baby appearance. Like just be like, yeah, she gets it from his side. Yeah, like it's like when a mother has a ginger baby and there's both parents are like dark hair or blonde hair. It's like, yeah, it must be a few generations back. (laughs) (laughs) In July 1964, Anna Marie was born, the first child of Fred and Rena. The family nanny, Isa McNeil, recalled Rena as a considerate mother who was struggling and claimed Fred was abusive and harsh towards the children. 
According to McNeil, Fred kept the girls in the bottom of the bunk bed with the bars fitted to the space between the bunks, effectively keeping them in a cage. In 1964, the West became acquainted with 16-year-old Anna McFall. Rena soon became bored of Fred and began an affair with John McCallan. Rena soon became bored of Fred and began, and began an affair with John McLachlan. On one occasion, Fred discovered them both in bed and he proceeded to punch Rena. In response, McLachlan punched Fred, who retaliated by pulling a knife out and slashing McLachlan's stomach. McLachlan then punched Fred on the second time, and Fred backed down. Sorry, I'm just laughing at how many times you just said. I literally, I was just thinking that. I was like, why am I saying this? This one's so much, and I can see it in the next paragraph. So oh much my well. god, so funny! Years later, when recalling the incident, McLachlan stated, "Fred couldn't tackle a man, but he wasn't so slow in attacking a woman." Rena and McLachlan continued their affair and soon Rena left Fred along with McNeil and McLachlan and fled to Glasgow. Rena left Charmaine and Anna Marie with Fred and McFall, who had become infatuated with Fred, also stayed and became the children's nanny. McFall and Fred quickly began a relationship, and although Fred always insisted that his relationships with Rena and Anna did not overlap, this cannot be guaranteed. Okay, so mate, I feel like people are gonna be listening and they're gonna be like, Who the fuck are all these people? Yeah. Okay. So, Rena is Fred's first wife. Mm-hmm. She's having an affair with this guy, McLachlan. Nice guy. Solid guy. Mm-hmm. And Not basically, a murderer. Basically, I think what happens is Rena decides, I'm leaving Fred. So, she goes to the back to the house of McLachlan and she tries to take Charmaine and Anna Marie, who are her two children. But Fred is like holding on to these children. He won't let go of them and it becomes a massive yeah. argument. And then. Rena McCracken are like, look, we need to just go, otherwise he's going to kill one of us. So they both go, and they go. They take McNeil with them, who yeah. is the nanny. McFall, who had been like, she'd been like, they they'd met her. I'm not really sure how they met her, but she'd been like staying and living with Fred yeah. and Rena. Um, I think she was she a was friend a of McNeil. Basically. I think she was yeah. a friend of McNeil. Anyway, she, yeah, she'd been staying, so she decides to stay. And then they start their relationship. Mm-hmm. So he's moved on to Anna McFall. Yeah. In July 1967, McFall, aged 18 and eight months pregnant with Fred's child, went missing. Anna's dismembered remains were found buried at the edge of a cornfield between Much Markle, where Fred had bro- grown up, and Kempley. 27 years after her disappearance in 1994, from what I can gather from my research... Grace's research even. <laughs> um, it seems that Rena lost her temper on a visit to see Charmaine and Anna Marie due to her jealousy over Anna McFall's motherly instincts towards her young girls as a result Anna McFall was attacked and subsequently killed Fred then helped Rena get rid of the body and also cut out her unborn child from her womb oh it's fucked I personally feel as though Fred had a lot more to do with the murder, especially seeing as Rena moved back in with Fred just a month after McFall went missing. However, this bliss only lasted a year when Rena moved out again and left her children. Okay. So the whole cutting out, uh, it's horrible to even talk about, but he cut out the baby. And Mm. Fred admits that he did that, I think. And what's interesting is, like, you see it with some of the other girls, but he always... I don't know what this weird thing is with him, but he tells people that he's really good at abortions and he's like a professional gynecologist and abortionist and that it's a whole sexual sure. thing. 
and I think it's something to do with that. But this fucking this baby's never been found, and it makes me so sad. That's just horrible. It's horrendous, so, like, isn't it? Did the baby survive? I think it was post mortem. It was cut out. Yeah, but they can still survive. No, I think it was dead. Oh, uh, okay. That's awful. Yeah. Mind you, I think they can still survive in a hospital setting with professional doctors. Yeah. So you thought that was dark. It's going to get darker. Oh, God, Rose. Because it's now. Let me set the scene. We're in Gloucester. Mm. We're at a bus stop. It's 1969. Everyone's living their best lives. And Fred meets Rosemary Letts. Mm. She was just 15 years old when she met Fred West. Fred managed to extract a degree of sympathy from Rosemary, claiming that he and his two daughters had been abandoned by his wife. You know, Rena had left again. Remember? Mm-hmm. She she actually did leave again. She went back to Glasgow. Yeah. Um, and he told Rose that he wished for more children. Rosemary soon moved in with Fred and became a nanny for his two daughters, who at first she initially treated with care and affection, according to everyone, like all the neighbours and stuff. Yeah, yeah. After several months of dating, Fred met Rose's parents, who absolutely hated Fred. Rose's mother, Daisy, was unimpressed and believed him to be a psychopath. Rose's father, Bill, also hated Fred and actually directly threatened him to call social services if he continued to date his daughter. But I don't think this was because he had Rose's best interests at heart. I think this was actually due to the fact that Rose had been sexually assaulted and raped by her father pretty much all her life. Mm-hmm. And Bill was now afraid that Rose was going to leave him and live with Fred. Um, and on her 16th birthday, that's exactly what she did. And she moved into Fred's Cheltenham flat. I think I read somewhere that Bill, Rose's father, Bill, was like really abusive as well towards Daisy, her mother. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that in the show yesterday? Yeah. That show was, that we watched yeah. yesterday. She was like a wreck. Bill made one final effort to prevent her daughter from seeing Fred and had Rose examined by a police surgeon in February 1970 who confirmed that she was pregnant. However, not only was Rose at this point sleeping with Fred, she was also still being sexually assaulted by her father and Rose had, um, Fred had actually invited Bill over to have sex with Rose. Yeah. It's fucked. It's all fucked. Rose gave birth to her first child on October 1970, a daughter named Heather. And while Rose claims that Heather was biologically Fred's child, the speculation surrounding Heather's paternity still remains. Well, um, it, it would do, wouldn't it? Like, And it always will. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Um, just two months later, Fred was arrested for theft and spent six months in prison. During this time, Rosemary had just turned 17 and she was looking after Charmaine and Anna Marie, as well as her newborn. So she's yeah. got two two young girls and a newborn. Yeah, it was, so she's a young mum and a young stepmom as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. 17. That's, <laughs> That's a lot. super young. That's not even, yeah. like, to me, 20, I'm a young, I would be a young mum if I had a baby now, I'm 24. Yeah. 17 is like well, you're still now. a kid. Mate, you're an adult now. I'm not, I know who I am technically, <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> it was at this time that there was a noticeable change in Rose's demeanour and she became incredibly abusive towards Charmaine and Anna Marie. I actually think that could maybe be a bit of postpartum initially, anyway. Yeah, maybe. And I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm not justifying what she did, but I no, think, no. imagine this but it guy. But it could have just like, it, it could have been a link into the further. This guy that you've only been with for like, what, two years? Yeah. 
he fucking leaves you with his two children that aren't even yours and then your newborn yeah. baby and you're literally a teenager. No, I'm saying I, also, I can see how you would lose your temper. Um, I also, I remember something from when I did this case. I didn't actually do the case. I looked into Rose specifically and her mm. past. And not only was she sexually assaulted by her father, she'd been like stranger raped like three times as well. Oh, that's horrible. Like, as I'm pretty sure it was that anyway. It's so um, it's so shit because when you look at their like their childhoods and stuff, you think, oh my god, these poor people. But then yeah. they go on to do the most horrendous things. Like it's really hard for you to feel sorry for them. Exactly, we've said it so many times in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, we, it's like, the same with like Carla and Hamalka and Paul Bernardo, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, even my shit happened to them. Yeah, and abuse and assault, and they don't end up killing. Like, yeah. Fred was released from prison on the 24th of June, 1971, and last saw Charmaine on a visit on the 15th of June, 1971. Between this time frame, Rose murdered Charmaine. Rose explained Charmaine's disappearance to others by claiming that Rena had called and taken her daughter to live with her in Bristol. When Fred was released on the 24th, he reassured a worried Anna Marie by confirming that her sister had gone to live with their mother in Scotland. That's horrible. Because... Pretty sure Bristol and Scotland are two separate places, guys. Oh, yeah. But also, this poor Anna Marie, that whole time, yeah. she's thinking, like, why did my mum take Charmaine? She didn't take me. Exactly. Bless like, her. You've been abandoned by your mother twice before, yeah. and now this is the third time. Like, Bless her. <sighs> Charmaine's body was stuffed into a coal cellar as Rose waited for Fred to return from prison to help her bury the body. I mean... I don't know. If... What's a coal cellar? So I was literally going to be like, I don't know if people know what a coal cellar is. <laughs> <laughs> the way I know them to be in like little terrace houses mm-hmm. was like a section of the back garden or like the back courtyard. And it was almost like a little bit of an outhouse. Mm-hmm. Whereas that an actual coal cellar would, would have just been a few feet further down. And, like, there would be, like, a little chute to put the coal bags in and empty the coal into. So then the coal would go down into the basement, which is where, like, the boiler and stuff would be to put the coal on. Uh, So the reason I I put the time frame in here is, so he last saw on the 15th. It doesn't get out for the 24th of June. How many days is that? Nine. So she could In June as well. Yeah, she could have potentially been in that coal coal cellar for nine days. Yeah. Yeah. But in in the summer as well, start of summer. Potentially a heat wave, like summer in England, but still. Yeah, but for a decomposing body, it's still it's still oh, massive, isn't God, it? God, it's horrible. So Fred buried Charmaine's body in the yard, close to the back door of the flat. Many years later, when Charmaine's body was found, it was noted that several bones—fingers, wrist, toe, and ankle bones—were missing from her skeleton. This is a reoccurring theme in all of Fred and Rose West's victims, and while there is speculation that these were simply kept as keepsakes, there's also speculation that Fred, and perhaps also Rose, conducted in cannibalism too. Like, why do you not oh, care more that, that your child? He might have eaten her. Oh my god. Mind you, I, I don't know why I'm questioning it as if he's a rational person. Yeah, like, you could kill people with Chop them up, but eating them is a little bit too far for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. 
yeah, like on that thing last night, one of the prisoners said they were talking to Myra after she'd um, split up from Rose, let's just say. And she, Myra was saying how much of a monster Rose was because she killed her own children and she couldn't believe anyone could do that. And the prisoner was like, didn't you kill like five children? And Myra was like, yeah, but they weren't my kids, were they? <laughs> and I was like, mm, that doesn't really excuse it, Myra. Thank like, God they didn't give her parole. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so time frame. Charmaine's dead. It's just mm-hmm. Heather, Anna-Marie, the two children, and Fred and Rose. Yeah. So Rena Costella comes back into the picture. She has maintained contact with her children this whole time. Um, and in August 1971, she confronted Fred, um, possibly to demand custody of her daughters, because this was when she was last seen. It's kind of thought that maybe like a fight broke out between them two. Yeah. But yeah. Rena is believed to have been murdered by strangulation. Yeah. When her body was discovered, Rena was extensively dismembered placed into plastic bags and buried close to a cluster of trees by Muck Markle, which is where Fred grew up. It's where he also buried Anna McFall, yeah? Oh, I thought it was only one of them that was buried there. Um, I think perhaps he later moves one of them. Oh, okay. I think maybe I've read that. But, yeah, um, so they haven't started... Oh, actually, no, I guess they buried, buried Charmaine in the garden, didn't they? But Yeah. They're not burying in the garden. That's not like a big thing yet. Anyway, Fred um, had clearly finally met his match, and in January 1972, Fred and Rose were married in Gloucester Registry Office. Just several months later, Rose fell pregnant again with her second child, and the West moved to the infamous 25 Cromwell Street. Before I get into this, so Cromwell Street was like, uh, it was like a terrace house, it was like a three-up. Yeah, it's like, like a townhouse. One of them, like, yeah, townhouses. Um, and I think... If you're looking at the house on the right, there was an alleyway, and then next to that was a church. <laughs> so to, to think that this was like right yeah, next, next to the, to the buildings, yeah, yeah. So it was to the to the left of it, there was a house attached to it. It was a semi-detached, but then on the right, it was a alleyway. Yeah. Anyway, many of the upper room floors were initially converted into bedsits to supplement a household income and to allow lodgers to stay in the house while Fred and Rose lived on the ground floor and a children's play area was in the process of being built in the basement. On June 1st, Rose gave birth to a second daughter, May June. Shortly after the birth of May June, Rose began work as a prostitute and operated um, from the upstairs rooms. Not only did she engage in sex for money, but she also began casually sleeping with both male and female lodgers and was well known by everyone for her promiscuity, which is weird when you look at pictures of her when she gets arrested. I know, she literally she like, like she'll be working in a library. Happy grandma. <laughs> 25 Cromwell Street became effectively a private working brothel from where Rose worked. I literally, if if you don't know what Rose looks like, please go Google her. So you have so you have her image in in your brain while we talk about the rest of it because I just can't I can't get from this point to a picture of her like I can't make them meet in my brain. If you have like an image in your head of what a sex worker would look like, <laughs> it's the opposite. She is the total opposite <laughs> in every single way. Honestly. Their house was littered with sex toys and porn magazines. What a lovely place to grow up. Oh, my God. Um, and later, Rose and Fred expanded these collections to include videos of bestiality and child pornography. Obviously, did. Of course. Why wouldn't you? 
The room that Rose worked within had several peepholes from where Fred would watch his wife have sex with both men and women. The room included a private bar and a red light outside that warned when Rose was not to be disturbed. Sorry, that just made me think of that bookshop that we went to in Edinburgh that had the little red light. Oh, my God. (laughs) Do you think upstairs it was a brothel? Oh, God. (laughs) Anyway. Surrounded by the first editions. Yeah. How romantic. The room remained locked and the children knew never to enter Rose's room. By 1983, Rose had given birth to eight children, Mm. several of whom were conceived by clients, but Fred accepted all of these children as his own. I don't know. The children grew up to constantly fear being the recipient of violence from their parents. That vast majority was inflicted by Rose, occasionally by Fred. Stephen, who was born in 1973, recalls a time that when he was cleaning the kitchen floor and Rose slipped on the bucket he was using. Rose hit the boy over the head with the bucket and repeatedly kicked him in the head. There's some more head injury for you. (laughs) Yeah. In addition to this, May recalled a time when Rose had become furious about missing kitchen utensils. So in response, she grabbed a knife and began to cut the little scour marks all over May's chest until her ribcage was covered in knife wounds. The majority of the recollections from the children involved mostly Rose and her extreme temper, and even Fred became the recipient of Rose's violence at times. In September 1972, Anna-Marie was led down to the children's play area in the basement by her parents. However, what was in the basement was no children's play area. The basement was dark and dingy. There was a mattress on the floor and pornography strewn across it. There were chains along the walls and hooks in the ceilings. Rose undressed Anna-Marie, bound her to the mattress and gagged her before Fred proceeded to rape her. After the rape, Anna-Marie was given a cup of tea and Fred and Rose were very kind to her. Like, I just can't. Yeah, it's horrible because I think that's like a lot A lot of the reason why that these children never spoke up was because that they did these horrific things to them. But then afterwards, they just, it was kind of like Stockholm Syndrome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like treated them really kindly afterwards. Yeah, it's it's like how we saw with Myra that if she was violent towards other kids and a bully, her father would give her approval. Yeah, and I think also it's like Anna Marie and the other children as well, they're like constantly being abused by Rose. Yeah. So if they if they just close their eyes, pretend this thing isn't happening, let it happen, then afterwards their parents are actually going to be nice to them for 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so, oh, that makes like that they're that, my heart. They're that desperate yeah. for like a love a and connection. affection. Mm. Yeah. After this, Rose explained that it was her father's job and she made it clear that these sexual assaults would continue. When Anna-Marie turned 13, she was forced to begin prostituting herself at 25 Cromwell Street, with her clients being told that she was 16. I mean, it's still not okay, but... Yeah, I mean, 16 is still not cool. She's still supposed to be 16. That's still not cool, dude. Definitely not. In October 1972, Fred and Rose met Caroline Owens while she was hitchhiking. The West offered Caroline a job as a babysitter, and Owens moved into 25 Cromwell Street shortly after their first meeting. Rose explained the various men and women coming in and out of the property by telling Owens that she was a masseuse. Oh my god. Wondering that. She was like, why are all these people coming in and out of the house? Oh, I'm a masseuse. Caroline also informed the police later that Fred had claimed to be a skilled abortionist 
and also stated that the women he performed abortions on were usually so happy they would offer him sex as a, res- a reward for his services. Does he not know how an abortion works? I know. The last thing a woman will want to do after an abortion is have sex. Also, um, I think and she, leave, she, she leaves after this because she's obviously weirded out. He, mm. he basically says to her, like, if you ever need an abortion, just come to me. Why would she yeah. do that when they're, they're fucking legal? Why on earth would she go to you? Anyway, so Caroline leaves. But this isn't the end because she's picked up again like a week later by Fred and Rose again when she's hitchhiking. I I don't understand. Like, I can't comprehend it ever being normal to hitchhike. It definitely is in America or was. But I suppose if you're in a rural area of Gloucestershire and the bus services aren't around at that point, it's the only thing you can do. It's just weird to me. Um, the West lured Caroline into their car by apologising and stating that it was all just a big misunderstanding. Owens got into the back of the car and Rose joined her. Soon the mood switched when Fred asked Caroline if she'd had sex recently. Fred told Rose to check her and suddenly Rose was groping Caroline and grabbing her crotch. Rose then began to punch her over and over again until Fred stopped the car and helped Rose bind and gag her. Caroline woke up again in the kitchen of of 25 Cromwell Street, while Rose and Fred were duct taping her face, literally like around and around and around, duct taping her Mm. face, like suffocating her. Caroline began screaming and when she, oh, Caroline began screaming when she woke up, but Fred and Rose managed to calm her down by promising that they would let her go. Fred began to sexually assault Caroline and remarked that her clitoris was unusual and that he could fix this with a simple procedure. Okay, FGM, no thank you. I I remember reading like her statement saying that um, she just decided to stop resisting the sexual assault because she realised that like if she keeps fighting this, they're gonna fucking kill her. Yeah. Can you imagine being how, how scary that is? Like that's the choice you have to make. Yeah. During the sexual assault, Fred threatened to tie Caroline up in the basement so that all his friends could abuse her, and he also said when all his friends had finished raping her, he would bury her body beneath the paving stones of Gloucester and said that there were hundreds of girls buried there. But then they just suddenly stopped, and they switched up. Fred and Rose suddenly calmly asked Caroline if she would consider returning to be their nanny, and seeing her window of opportunity, she agreed. I think this is fucking weird. Um, Fred and Rose then let Caroline leave after she promised not to say anything and to return the next day for work. Owens immediately went to the police and reported what had happened, but she later decided that she could not face Fred in court over the rape charges, so the West were only charged with indecent assault and causing actual bodily harm. Each of them were fined just £50 and the couple were allowed to walk free from court with no jail time. Just, they both came so close multiple times of being caught. So I think this whole Caroline Owens is like two two really important points to it. Firstly, can you imagine if the police like took her more seriously? Then mm-hmm. what we're about to talk about, none of it would ever happen. Yeah, And I think, secondly, it also set like a precedent in Fred and Rose's mind, like, right, we can't let these people go anymore because no. they're going to they're gonna tell the police, like, we need to, we can't let them leave our house. Like, it's actually we... too easy to get caught. Yeah. Just three months after the incident with Caroline, just three months after the incident with Caroline Owens, the couple committed their first murder. The West's first victim was 19-year-old Linda Goff. Goff had regularly visited Cromwell Street, and on the 19th of April, she moved into the house. On or around the 20th of April, 
Other tenants were told that Linda had been asked to move out because she had hit one of the children, a story that would be repeated later to Goff's mother. Although Goff's mother later stated that she did not believe this story as Rose was wearing Linda's clothing when she went to try and find Linda at Cromwell Street. Have you, have you, I don't know if you know about this, but Linda's mum went to the house in Cromwell Street and Rose yeah. answers the door and she's wearing Linda's cardigan and she's yeah. like, uh, where's my door? Oh, she's gone. Cool. Did she give you that cardigan? Yeah, yeah. She just left it with me. And then apparently she can like, from the front door, apparently you can see all the way into the garden on the washing line was Linda's knickers. Oh my God. And, and Linda's mum was like, did she leave you them too? And Rose was like, yeah, yeah, she gave them to me. Who the fuck would ever wear secondhand knickers? Oh, my God. <laughs> Years later, when Goff's dismembered body was found beneath the garage, it was noted that the jaw was completely wrapped in adhesive tape to silence her screams, and long sections of fabric were discovered with her remains. Police suspected that she had been strung up on the ceiling of the basement and likely died from strangulation. Seven other victims were murdered between November 1973 and April 1979. The first of these victims was 15-year-old Carol Ann Cooper. Cooper had been abducted at a bus stop after seeing a film with her boyfriend. She was abducted by Fred, who suspended her from the wooden beams of the cellar ceiling before abusing and murdering her. Police detected that Cooper had been strangled before her body was dismembered and buried in the shallow grave. Over the following 17 months, four further victims were killed between the ages of 15 and 21. Fred and Rose West's victims included Lucy Partington, abducted after seeing a friend, Teresa Siegenthaler, killed in 1974 whilst hitchhiking, Shirley Hubbard, killed in 1974, her remains were found with tape covered around her head. Juanita Mott, a former lodger of Cromwell Street, was killed in 1975. Shirley Robinson, killed in 1978, was a former lodger of Cromwell Street. And Alison Chambers, killed in 1979, who was initially reported as being an absconder from care. So she was under 16. So I, I didn't really go into detail about the murders because I just thought God, that would just be so much. Yeah. And I think essentially what all these women or girls have in common is that they were either hitchhiking or they were lodging in Cromwell Street. So they all they trusted prob- them to an extent. They all probably knew Fred and Rose. They all probably trusted them, yeah. Um and they've probably most of them have died from strangulation or asphyxiation. Yeah. Um and obviously they've been tortured and dismembered and yeah, it's just horrendous. But what's sad is like these girls aren't nobody's really noticing these people are going missing because they're girls that are like runaways or you know they're trying to make their way in life and like people might not necessarily know where they're living and stuff like that yeah which is like oh I just realized it's like Des Nielsen you know he picked he picks like um homeless men yeah people that aren't going to be noticed Mm. okay so Heather and May became the focus of Fred's sexual attention after Anna Marie ran away from home in 1979. She had finally had enough of the beatings from Rose. Fred justified his actions towards Heather and May by telling police, I made them, I can do what I like. Okay. I mean, um, the doesn't make sense. I'm not sure if that's the way we should be doing things, Fred. But mm. As Heather 
uh, May and their younger brother Stephen were close, they made an agreement to have Stephen in the room if any of the girls were being raped by Fred. Both the girls also developed a system where they would only shower when Fred was at the house. I think they kept Stephen there to like make sure that Fred didn't beat them too much. Was Stephen ever assaulted? Um, I know he was um, beat up and stuff, but I mean sexually assaulted. I don't assaulted. think he was sexually assaulted, no. 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 I think while like Fred had like kind of paedophilic tendencies, I don't really think that Heather did. Um, Heather, I mean, Rose. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean by Rose. Yeah, I don't think Rose was really into that. No. Um, later in life, May recollected that Heather was quite badly affected by the abuse that Fred inflicted on them both. May stated that she was better able to switch off when she was raped or sexually assaulted, but Heather expressed very nervous fragility whenever in the presence of males. Members of staff at Heather's school noted that while showering after PE lesson, Heather had a substantial number of welts and bruises on her body, which Heather explained away as coming from a fight with her siblings. But Heather later confided in a class friend that they had been inflicted by her parents. Many rumours about Fred and Rose circulated around town and in Heather and May's school. And although the children were told never to divulge details of their home life, Heather confided in her friends that many of the rumours they had heard were in fact true. Heather left school in 1986 and began applying for jobs in the hope that she would soon be able to leave 25 Cromwell Street. Heather pinned all her hopes on one specific job as a cleaner in Torquay, but received a letter stating that she was unsuccessful on June 18th. According to her siblings, she was devastated that she cried all the way through the night. The next day, her siblings left to go to school for the day and Heather stayed in Cromwell Street. When May and Stephen returned home that day, they were informed that Heather had left to accept the job that she had previously been refused. Fred and Rose's story differed at this time, depending on who they spoke to, and their story changed quite a lot. Rose told neighbours that her and Heather had had a hell of a row, and that Heather had run from home. Fred also changed his story when speaking to May and Stephen, by claiming that Heather was involved in credit card fraud. <laughs> when they suggested reporting Heather's disappearance. That's just the most ridiculous lie to make his, up. Credit one of the stories as well was that Heather was gay and she ran off with her girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Um, following Heather's disappearance, Fred would threaten the children and say that they would, quote, end up under the patio like Heather if they ever misbehaved or decided to tell people what was actually going on in 25 Cromwell Street. The ever-changing stories and the allusions to foul play ultimately led the police to questioning Heather's whereabouts. Dun, dun, dun. Did they ever find her? Yeah. That's yeah. that's no. what that's what this is this next bit is. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. So, we're going to split it into two parts. Yeah. Because we're going to be annoying like, like that. The, although it, it would have been better than having four parts for the Moore's Murders, they were still like an hour and 20 minutes long, each of them. Yeah. So it was a long listen. So I think it's probably best to have these like short. This will probably be an hour and then the next one, maybe like 45 minutes to an hour. But we're going to, next week, we'll talk about them eventually being caught, the arrests and the investigation into the 25 Cornwall Street, and then ultimately their time in prison and stuff. Because that's yeah. still quite interesting. Um, yeah. Rose is still alive today. Yeah, I know. I didn't actually know that until I researched this. Yeah, she has a cushiony little life in prison. Yeah, I bet she does. I bet she does. Makes a little ensuite with a bath and everything. Yeah, I bet she does. Um, oh my god, did I tell you? Oh my god, did I tell you? 
The other day at work, um, I was working till nine o'clock and someone was like, do you want to go see where Myra Hindley used to live? And I was like, <laughs> fuck, yes, I do. No, at all. Yeah, and I was like, oh, my God. And I thought, do I bring up the podcast? And I thought, no, Grace Sharp, no one cares. Anyway, he took, <laughs> me, he took me and I went into her cell and I also went and saw her little exercise yard. But apparently, yeah. apparently it wasn't her yard. It was like the gar- It was like the prison officer's smoking area. But she yeah, like but she kept it tidy because yeah, she couldn't go anywhere else. Yeah, very very interesting. Um, that would creep me out. I know it was like nine o'clock as well. It was really dark, and I was like, "Please don't scare me." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Okay, oh. so um. I hope you enjoyed it this week. This is like my favourite one. I don't even know why. I just find it so interesting. See, I think mine was always the Moors murderers. I think because I think that's because so yeah, I was just about to say because they're close to home. I think I find these really interesting because they're like in England and a lot of yeah, a lot of serial killers are American, aren't they? Mm, yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, like I said, next week will be part two, and then we're going to go on to our Halloween month. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so listen next week, and if you want to listen to the other ones, uh, we did Mario Hennini and Brady and Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamoka, and then we've got other ones like Cults, and I can't even remember what else we've done. Like We did Unsolved Murders. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, what's our social media? Everything with the girls. Everything with the girls. So follow us on Instagram. And also, we are now three months old. Are we? Yeah. Oh, cute. Three months old as of like a week ago, I think, but I forgot to say it. Super cute. Three months old. <laughs> we've just, we've got out of our infancy. We're now going to be toddlers. <laughs> Please pay us. <laughs> yeah, God. Um, yeah, so I can quit my job and do this forever. Yes, that would <sighs> be glorious. Okay, bye. Bye.